You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 140, The Presidential Election of 2016. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Ben. A long, long time ago, we recorded the last episode of the Chronology Through Presidential Elections. That was, wow, long time ago now. Yeah, it seems like it's been, oh, I don't know, since like episode 76, since we've done any of these chronological uh, election episodes. So almost almost half our podcast ago. Yeah, so if you listened to episode 77 and you were like, hey, 2012, I can't wait for episode 78. And then we end up talking about women's suffrage. You're like, <laughs> whoa, what happened? Well, guess what? The election hadn't happened yet. Yeah. But it happened now. And we can talk about it because it technically is history. So, of course, in due time, there will be much, much more that we can talk about and will be revealed and, you know, studies that will come out and all that kind of stuff. But for now, we're just going to talk about the facts we have as of, you know, the week of the election after the election is over and kind of walk you through the background and where it ended up. Yeah. So, when we're recording this, we are just under 24 hours from when Donald Trump was announced as the president-elect, as the 45th U.S. president. So, there are going to be things that, well, might change by the time you hear this. And also, for those of you who are listening to this on Thursday, the Thursday after the Tuesday when president-elect Trump received the, the news as well as the nation received the news. Well, if you're listening to it on Thursday, feelings are still quite raw. And that's not our intention to take one side or another. But we do recognize that as we go into this podcast. Okay, so let's start right into it, Jason. Uh, a little background on this situation. There is a country called the United States of America, and it has elections. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, the last episode we talked, or the last sequential episode, we talked about the 2012 presidential election. And right after this election takes place and Barack Obama gets into office, people already start talking about 2016 election. And, you know, the, the front runners are out. People are coming out in mass. A couple years later, 2014, the midterm elections show up. And the Republicans uh, continue with control of the House of Representatives and get a majority in the Senate. And it is prime time for some change. Yeah. So 2014, the Republicans are all excited. And the next two years, the Republicans are in turmoil. And it's not looking really good for 
them at any stretch of the <laughs> mind. Uh, you have what seems like 70 different Republicans running for oh, president when actually it was, oh, just short of 20 people who had seriously considered running for office. Absolutely. Yeah. So do you want to go through them and uh, give a little bit of a, a broad scope here, Jason? Or Why not? Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and do that. <laughs> so we've got John Kasich. He is the governor of Ohio, uh, a conservative dude, but also very well liked by many people. Got some uh, good, uh, you know, he's got his feet in both sides of the ring. Yeah. You have uh, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas, who is very traditional Republican uh, appeals to uh, some would say the relig- the quote religious right, and um, really garnered a lot of support uh, from Christians. And of course, he's from Texas, so why not? It's a big state. Yeah, you got Marco Rubio, who is a senator from Florida, and uh, uh, Rubio is actually a Cuban American. And you know, this is huge. You've got this. Um, there's not been too many candidates in recent memory that have been uh, from anywhere or whose heritage has been something other than white. Um, of course, we have Barack Obama, of course, in 2008 um, being elected and in 2012. But really, we don't see many people of what we would call people of color uh, running and getting any kind of serious consideration for the office. Yes. And then Ben Carson, who is African-American, has never held... Uh, political office, but he was uh, an amazing pediatric uh, neurosurgeon uh, from Johns Hopkins there in Maryland. So you can imagine he was very well respected in the medical community, really started making inroads uh, with Christians again. Of course, you will recognize the last name Bush for Jeb Bush. He was the uh, 43rd governor of Florida and, of course, very pivotal in the 2000 election. Uh, He's also the brother of George W. Bush, the former president, and the son of George H.W. Bush, also the former president. And, of course, you know, people know the name. So uh, he gets, um, gets a good jump on things. Yeah. Then you have the former governor of Virginia, Jim Gilmore, who, well, he's from Virginia, and that'd be nice for the Republicans there thinking to have somebody from Virginia, right? Yeah, absolutely. Typically a a blue state, so bring it on. Uh, Carly Fiorina, she is a businesswoman. She's the CEO of Hewlett-Packard, or the retired CEO of Hewlett-Packard, and, um, you know, just has a strong voice. People really start to like her because, one, she is a woman and she's a Republican, and um, most times that someone runs uh, for an office, they are a man, as we have seen many, many times. So the fact that you have a woman who has strong political values and and family values as well running um, starts to garner her a bunch of different support. Then you have the current governor of the state of New Jersey, or the Commonwealth of New Jersey, I should say, Chris Christie, who really the thought was, hey, he's from a Democratic state, Republican governor. Rand Paul, who is the current senator from Kentucky. Uh, You may know his father, Ron Paul, longtime politician as well. And um, 
Rick Santorum from Pennsylvania. He uh, had formerly been a senator in Pennsylvania and is now like, hey, I might as well throw my hat in the ring again. If you remember the last episode, we talked about him there, too. Yeah. And then um, Mike Huckabee, the former governor of Arkansas, and you see him quite often on a major news station. He throws his hat into the ring. And then former governor of New York, George Pataki. And then to start rounding it out here, we had Lindsey Graham, the senator from South Carolina, and Bobby Jindal, the governor of Louisiana, who um, actually was the governor until 2016. Uh, when he was running, he was still the governor at that time. And Scott Walker, the really champion of Republican politics in Wisconsin. Well, of course, along with a particular Speaker of the House that resides there. And Rick Perry, the former governor of Texas. Yeah. And so, of course, those those last, you know, five or six that we mentioned there just have a lot of uh, some of them just have a couple write-in votes. Some of them have uh, a good many votes, but not from a lot of different areas. Uh, so we mentioned many of them because, of course, this is a more recent memory, and you'll remember many of those names, and they're important. Um, but, of course, just like normal, we would focus on the uh, the main candidates. And so Donald Trump is the one candidate we haven't mentioned here. And of course, you know, people living in present day will understand why. But uh, Donald Trump comes forward and he's like, hey, I'm not like any of you. Uh, I am a businessman. I've never held any kind of office. Me and Carly Fiorina were, were similar in that, in that way. And uh, I'm going to run. And at that time, everybody is like, oh, okay, yeah, Donald Trump, he's been threatening to run for president for like 15 years. It's fine. Uh, we understand. Yeah. And for those of you who listened to the podcast in our early days, uh, a one Jason Goff uh, once said on a Reddit forum where we were announcing the show that that particular candidate had a snowball's chance. <laughs> oh, man. I actually have a, um, a buddy who on... Uh, Facebook said that, uh, you know, a very popular uh, movie star, he had about as much chance of getting a date with her as Donald Trump had of winning the presidency. Um, he's excited right now. So, yeah. Well, we're not very good at predicting future elections. That's the we are not. We have a history <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's right. We're pretty good at, at researching and stuff like that. So, Jason, let's move on to the Democratic Party, where we're going to see a couple familiar names, the first being the former Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton. Uh, she was also a former senator, and she was also the First Lady of the United States uh, when her husband, Bill Clinton, was the president back in the early to mid to late 90s. Yeah, and then you had the very independent Democratic Socialist candidate from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, the independent senator who really came out to be Hillary's number one rival in the primary. Uh, you've got a few other people. Martin O'Malley, who is the governor of Maryland, uh, runs uh, a Harvard law professor named Lawrence Lessig runs. He got uh, just a few write-in votes. And then you've got a couple other guys who get a couple write-in votes as well. Uh, uh, Jim Webb, the senator from Virginia, and Lincoln Chafee gets a... Um, uh, a little stab at things as the governor of Rhode Island. Uh, so let's keep going. Yeah. So we have talked about third parties and 
these other parties that you may never have heard of. So I don't even know if you want to call them fourth, fifth, sixth, 18th parties, but uh, the Libertarian Party put forth Gary Johnson, who was the governor of New Mexico. Uh, We can say around the turn of the century now, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So he was the governor uh, for quite some time of New Mexico. He was a Republican at the time. And the Green Party, uh, Jill Stein, Dr. Jill Stein, ran once again for the Green Party. So you see something really interesting happen. Next, you have the uh, just a, a straight-up independent ticket. Uh, a guy named Evan McMillan comes forward. He was the chief policy director for the House Republican Conference for uh, 2015 and 16. And he is a Mormon. He's part of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's from Utah originally, and he is um, a young guy, lived in California. And he comes forward and says, hey, vote for me. Uh, at least to shake things up, if nothing else. And um, we see a lot of support moving his way. Yeah. And then the Constitution Party put forward Daryl Castle. And you might have noticed the name of Rocky De La Fuente, who ran for the America Delta Party, which I never had heard of prior to <laughs> this election season. I'm like, what is the American Delta Party? Yeah. You've got... Um, uh, Numerous other parties running as well, uh, parties that haven't haven't had a representation ever. Have, start having people come out of uh, the woodwork to vote for them. Uh, you've got people voting, you know, voting for um, third parties uh, just to kind of see them progress and the ideas progress there. But we'll get into that here a little bit more. So, Ben, for the purposes of history, we are going to talk mainly about the Republican and Democratic parties. I do encourage each of our listeners to go back a couple of episodes and listen to the supplemental episode that we did with Jen Briney from Congressional Dish, because there is a place for third parties. We don't want to belittle that, and that could happen in two years from now when we have our next congressional elections, where a third party might have a big influence And you can have a voice if you don't agree with Republicans or Democrats. But as it stands right now, effectively, if you're going to become the president of the United States, you are going to need to run on either the Republican or Democratic ticket. It's just the way it is right now. The Republican Party. This is, we we mentioned, you know, it's like 70 different people. It was the largest primary for the office of the president for any political party. In American history. So that's another reason we kind of went through all the different names of people who are running. It's insane. There's, you know, you can judge by the amount of people who are running how unified the party is behind the people who are running. And that was certainly the case with the Republican Party in the 2016 election. So, of course, you have the um, the Iowa caucus coming up and people are polling. And right off the bat, Perry, Walker, Jindal, Graham and Pataki are like, yeah, we don't have the poll numbers. We're done. We're out. Uh, here we go. And, you know, you know what they say about Iowa, however Iowa goes, the, the rest of the nation is going to probably follow um, Donald Trump comes in second to Ted Cruz. And right after that, Huckabee, Paul and Santorum realize, yeah, we don't have a shot and they bail out. Yeah. So you have the New Hampshire primary and 
Much to the surprise of just about everyone, Donald Trump wins. You would think New Hampshire, these established Republicans, because in the Northeast, a Republican is probably going to go for that tradition, right? Mm -hmm. No, they abandoned Jeb Bush. (laughs) It's like, what? So (laughs) it becomes very apparent that the established Republican is not going to do so well in this election. So coming up, one of the first four Super Tuesday primaries and Rubio, boom, wins in Minnesota. Cruz wins Alaska, Oklahoma, and Texas, which is, of course, his home state. And then there's seven other states where Donald Trump pulls ahead. He wins. And uh, Ben Carson, who hadn't um, gotten much support at that point, suspends his campaign a little while after that. And Jason, why do people suspend their campaign or whatever, rather than saying they're they're dropping out or conceding or something? I'm pretty sure it has something to do with funding. Uh, I think that money needs to go somewhere. It needs gotcha. to do something. So if you just say, eh, I quit, then who's, there's this bag of money. <laughs> what do you do with it? So right. uh, if somebody wants to let us know and can give us maybe a better answer because we'll forget to Google it. Yep. And inevitably we always do. Why do you always ask me these difficult questions when we're recording, Ben? (laughs) It's just part of who I am. (laughs) So yeah, Trump runs away with the seven states from super Tuesday. And what ends up happening through a series of other primaries is Trump is emerging as the front runner and Cruz and Kasich are hanging in there. Cruz puts on a pretty good showing in several states. He gets uh, Wisconsin and he gets a few other states that's like, okay, there's a possibility that Cruz could pull this thing out. But Kasich's like, no, <laughs> I'm staying. And there's no chance that he's going to get the delegates that he needs. But he doesn't want to concede to Donald Trump, nor does he want to throw any support behind Donald Trump. But what ends up happening is by early May, Cruz and Kasich drop out of the race and don't necessarily endorse Trump. Right. So... Normally, in a race, you have a ton of people coming behind one candidate as they you know, drop out of the race or they, they realize they're not uh, getting the support that they need to continue. And they say, I endorse this candidate or this candidate. Uh, this doesn't happen a whole lot in this, um, in this race. Uh, you see people who are saying, you know, we're establishment candidates. They're not actually saying these words, of course, but we're establishment candidates. And we think someone who also is a part of the establishment and has had some experience uh, should be should be the nominee. So we're just going to drop out for now and see how things go. So Trump, at this point, coming up on the convention, uh, is the only person who's still actively in, in the lead or who's, who's in the race. And uh, not to say that he didn't have the support by any means. He certainly had the support. But the Republican no- nominee ends up being Donald Trump. And for the vice president, he picks the uh, current governor of Indiana, Mike Pence. Yeah. So they go to the convention and the convention is held in Cleveland, Ohio. Governor Kasich's state. Kasich doesn't show up for the convention. 
And Cruz gives a speech where he says, I encourage you to vote your conscience and never endorses Trump. Much to the surprise, yet maybe not surprise, of those attending the convention. And he gets booed off the stage, pretty much. So there you have it. Your uh, your Republican Party ticket is Donald Trump and Mike Pence for president and vice president. Hey, Jason, you want to move over to the Democratic Party? It's a little less crowded of a field. Yep, let's do it. For eight years, you have Hillary Clinton waiting in the wings because she lost a very difficult primary back in 2008 to the first-term Senator Barack Obama from Illinois. And it was pretty well known that, hey, the Democratic nomination, it's going to go to Hillary Clinton because she almost won it in 2008. Yeah, and then out of nowhere, you have Bernie Sanders. He's an independent from Vermont. He's a senator. And uh, he says, you know what? I kind of hate the way Washington's going. And... I'm going to run for president. Why not? I'm going to go for the Democratic nomination. And so by September, you see the gap really narrowing and people are really saying, hey, Sanders has something we're interested in hearing. Um, Maybe we should look at somebody who's not Hillary Clinton. And, you know, you have a few other people enter the race. You have a few other people um, try try to give it a go. And just nobody can get the support that Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders are getting. Webb ends up deciding to uh, look at an independent run and Joe Biden, who wasn't in the race before this, but he comes out and says, hey, guys, just in case you were wondering, I'm definitely not going to be a candidate. Yeah. And you have to understand with Biden, this was a very difficult decision because he had garnered a lot of support because he's a very popular vice president and he would have given Hillary a run for her money. He would have given Sanders a run for his money. But he has had, uh, well, just recently, the death of his son. And you can imagine just the processing that and working through that. He just didn't feel like going through the rigors of a presidential campaign. Yeah, and I think this is important because it's unusual that a vice president is this popular and also decides not to run for the presidency, uh, at least in the next race. So, yeah, that's a good point, Jason. He's got a lot of support and just chooses, no, it's this is not, not the time for me. Come up on February of 2016, Hillary Clinton wins the Iowa caucus, but just barely by a margin of uh, 0.2 points over Bernie Sanders. O'Malley drops out because he didn't win any delegates. And Sanders is like, hey, uh, New Hampshire, here I come. Getting 60% of the vote. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, and that that can be expected, right? New Hampshire, Vermont, they're friendly states to each other. They share a very long state line (laughs) with each other. I was going to say border, but I don't know if you can really say border. Yeah. But, uh, Yeah. So as the primaries move south and move west, Hillary is just running away with it. Uh, She gets 53% of the vote in the Nevada caucus. And then in South Carolina, she gets 73% of the vote. 
so the Super Tuesday primaries come up, or at least the first uh, Super Tuesday primaries. I'm always confused by when they say Super Tuesday, and I'm like, well, there's four of them, so why do you say it's super? It should be like medium, better, best, you know, whatever. Yeah, or at least anyway, put Roman uh, numerals next to them or something. Yeah. Yeah, come on, leave the simple guys like me be less confused. <laughs> anyway, Clinton wins Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Massachusetts, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and that's 504 delegates for her. Sanders gets Colorado, Minnesota, Oklahoma, and Vermont, which is 340 delegates. And they're like, okay, well, it looks like you know Hillary uh, Clinton is is still in the lead. Definitely gonna uh, steamroll this thing. And the following week comes along. And Bernie Sanders surprises us. He has victories in Kansas, Nebraska, and Maine. And he doesn't just have victories. He has gigantic victories, especially against someone with as much um, political clout, I guess you would say, as Hillary Clinton. Sanders goes on and wins several more caucuses and then the Wisconsin primary. And Clinton, she wins Arizona and New York and then the last Super Tuesday, and then by the third Super Tuesday, she wins Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and Pennsylvania, while Sanders just gets Rhode Island. No offense, Rhode Island, but let's face it, four, <laughs> four to one, she wins. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing so, to do uh, with the size of your state. No, not at all. Or something. Uh, Indiana primary comes along, people are... are pretty much projecting that Hillary Clinton's going to win it, and Bernie Sanders takes it anyway. Uh, he also gets West Virginia and Oregon, and uh, Clinton finishes up that day with the Guam caucus, which is important, remember, and the Kentucky primary. Um, it gets really interesting because Clinton also wins the, the Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico, and June 6th, the Associated Press says Hillary Clinton is the presumptive nominee. She's got the required number of delegates. She's got the required number of delegates and super delegates combined, I suppose I could say. And she's going to have the nomination. And so Hillary Clinton becomes the very first woman to ever clinch the nomination from a major political party here in the United States. Of course, before anybody tries to correct us, there were other women who were... Um, uh, candidates for their parties. And those are definitely not to be ignored because uh, those are giant feats in and of themselves. But the fact that it's a, a major party that has uh, historically won elections and been a giant contender is huge. Uh, as I said earlier, they've all been men so far. Yeah. So all the while, even though everybody's projecting her as the winner, and we've talked about superdelegates. Go back, listen to that episode if you have any questions about that. On the Democratic side, they've got superdelegates, and those are very important. But Sanders is keeping his hat in the ring. He will not withdraw until right up on the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia. He does this really to influence what's happening on the party platform, which he does. So, Clinton makes some concessions on some issues and um, yeah, people were feeling the burn in Philadelphia. So for her vice presidential ticket, she picks Tim Kaine. Of course, he is the uh, senator from Virginia, the current senator, and brings him along beside her and um, they formally nominate him and her. 
and off they go. So anytime you talk about recent history, we all have our own preconceived and maybe not so preconceived feelings towards the candidates and how the campaigns were run. So we're not going to get into a lot of the controversies about what happened during the campaign. It's just too close. We don't know all of the facts still, and a lot is going to come out for sure in the coming weeks. Yeah, so we know for a fact that each side says they have dirt on the other, and each side says that these things are wrong with the other candidate. Those are not abnormal things. This has been happening since, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe 250 years ago. And it's probably not going to stop anytime soon. So it's an, it's kind of a nasty race. It gets a little bit intense. Um, mud is being slung on either side of the aisle, towards the opposite side of the aisle, and from outside the aisles, and from outside the building. And uh, it just becomes uh, kind of a crazy intense election where you have people who feel very passionately about very big issues. So we're not going to go into all of the controversies with what happened, all the ebbs and flows during debate season. (laughs) It was pretty crazy and can go back and, uh, well, just Google it or something, or just remember what it was like. (laughs) But uh, it got rough and it was rocky. And By the time Election Day rolls around, most of the polls have Clinton in the lead. Yeah, and not just by like a a shallow lead, a a pretty wide lead that is is typically in the past, you know, been pretty difficult to overcome for the person who's uh, losing out on that. And so as the night goes on, things are looking exactly like everyone thinks they should. Um, you know, the, the states that are normally red are normally are red and the states that are normally blue are blue. And then we get to Virginia and Florida and Ohio. And all of these are very important states, Ohio and Florida, especially very important states being being what we would call swing states. And um, things start to look weird on the maps. And Hillary is projected to win them. And Trump ends up winning them by incredibly narrow margins. And this kind of thing just keeps happening. Uh, we see Wisconsin and Michigan uh, all be incredibly close. Pennsylvania, which has been historically, uh, at least for a while, been a Democratic state, turns red on the maps. And suddenly people start to realize these polls are were not accurate. They, they weren't capturing the sentiments of the nation. Yeah. And Ben, just a personal note, I mean, a lot of us were looking at Florida saying that's a crucial one. Whoever wins Florida is going to have a, a huge advantage on this. Right. And without going into too much commentary, I guess, Trump wins Florida and then all eyes are on Michigan and out of the red, <laughs> Pennsylvania ends up being called for Trump. That one caught me off guard. And I think it caught a lot of other people off guard because once Trump secured Pennsylvania, boom, it was not too far after where he was declared the winner. And by 3 a.m. on Wednesday morning, Donald Trump comes out and says, I have just received a phone call from Secretary Clinton congratulating me on winning. 
yeah, so there you have it. Uh, Hillary Clinton concedes by phone, and then the next uh, morning comes out and does a press conference uh, to thank the um, American citizens and her supporters, and Donald Trump has received a victory. Uh, some interesting things. Donald Trump is 70 years old at the time when he wins, and this is the oldest president that has ever been elected to a first term, and also he was born in the same year as Bill Clinton and George W. Bush. So 1946 is looking to be a pretty good year if you're born to be a president. Well, at least as of right now. It's very strange to think about the three of them being born in the same year because, I don't know, in my mind's eye, I always picture the president as they look, you know, on that first election day. Right. And, you know, it just seems like, uh, Bill Clinton and, and George W. Bush look so young <laughs> in right. comparison. Uh, and then also thinking about how Reagan would always go back to his age. That was hammered home a lot, time and time again, during those campaigns. And I guess it's because Reagan was so much older than Carter that Reagan, in my mind's eye, looks so much older than Trump, even though Trump is actually older than Reagan. Yeah. Hey, and also, um, Trump is making history in a couple different ways. He's the fourth president to win an election, even though he lost his home state. Now, it is a little bit interesting because both major party candidates are from the same home state. So that kind of changes things up a little bit, um, uh, of course. But uh, it's pretty unusual for a president to win the presidency, <laughs> president to win the presidency. It's pretty unusual to win the presidency if you don't win your home state. And it happens. Yeah. And another interesting fact about the election that may not be a fact <laughs> in a few weeks, but as of right now, it looks like Clinton will have won the popular vote um, by several hundred thousand votes. Trump runs away with the Electoral College, but the popular vote goes to Clinton, which means absolutely nothing when saying you won or lost. So whether you like the system or not, that's the way it is. Agreed. We've talked about that many times, and I am absolutely positive this will not be the last time we talk about the um, kind of weird system that we've built here in America. Jason, speaking candidly, what a crazy election. Yeah, it was a crazy election, and I'm glad that we didn't follow it too closely. Yeah. It's absolutely. a good thing to go back into the the history books and learn about what politics has been like throughout our history. And uh, then the one that comes to mind over and over again, there, well, there's a couple of instances in our history that I think about over and over again, and actually a third one is coming to mind. Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, huge rivalry. And yeah. Adams not even going to the inauguration of Thomas Jefferson. And of course, John Quincy Adams didn't go to the inauguration of Andrew Jackson. So I don't know if that runs in the family. Uh, <laughs> the only other time that that happened where the pres the outgoing president didn't go to his uh, successor was um, Andrew Johnson didn't go to uh, Grant's inauguration. Um, right. You can imagine why. But uh, there were some ugly moments 
back then, you have the vice president, and I'm going to bring him up this time, Aaron Burr, kills a guy in a duel, kills a founding father, Alexander Hamilton, in a duel while he's the vice president. And then that election of 1828, where the campaign was so ugly that Andrew Jackson, Andy Jack, blames the Q and his cohorts for basically killing his wife. Yeah. Yeah. So in case you were wondering if things have ever been crazier, they've been at least as crazy before. Uh, Politics are um, always kind of a little bit uh, interesting, I guess is the the best word I can pick out to say there. And uh, of course it feels way more real when you're in the moment and not looking back through the lens of history. But um, just remember that things, you may think think things went really, really well, or you may think things went really, really poorly. And no matter what you think, there was an election in the past where people thought the exact same way that you do right now uh, about the the outcome. So um, it's all a matter of perspective, I guess you could say. Yeah. And I was heartened uh, to hear um, both um, Secretary Clinton and President Obama being so gracious. And it looks like it will be a peaceful transfer of power. And, uh, well, we'll probably talk about the inauguration a little bit as we go forward. Yeah, and I imagine there's parts of this election where, uh, as days go by, we'll be able to pull out and say, what what happens when this kind of thing happens? And uh, it'll just be a little bit more education for all of us. So no constitutional crisis, the country is secure, and history marches on. Hey, Jason, we had a little election kind of thingy of our own <laughs> where we asked people to vote on a survey, and they did. And people came out and uh, said... Hey, we like you guys overwhelmingly, which is awesome to hear. And we'll be able to synthesize all those results. But we just wanted to take a moment to thank you very much for all of you who went to the electioncollege.com slash survey and took the survey. Um, Such useful information there for us. uh, Such a great way for us to find out. Yes, you do indeed care about the podcast and you like the way it's going. Yeah, it really helps us get a picture when we're talking (laughs) and uh, doing our research of who we're, who, who are you people? And now we have a better idea. And I can tell you, I, I think we can give away this information is you guys are across the board politically. You are across the board um, with the type of occupation you have. You are across the board on gender and it's heartening to us as we go through these results to see that we are reaching such a broad swath of the population. So as we go forward, we hope that we can be uh, even more effective in speaking to you and in intera- interactions. Hey, uh, on the Monday and Tuesday following Thanksgiving we will be in Washington, D.C. We've got a listener who's going to be able to 
um, show us around a couple places and a couple things. So we are very first appreciative to them. And second, for any of you who live in Washington, D.C. or will be there for work or whatever the case may be, or if you just want to make a trip in, we would love to meet you. We'll be giving uh, out some information on when and where we will meet up on either that Monday or Tuesday after Thanksgiving. And we'll just have a little small election college hangout at probably like a Starbucks or something and grab some coffee. Keep your ears and eyes peeled for that. We would love to see you and meet you and uh, share coffee with you. Not the same coffee. That'd be gross. Yeah. And speaking of sharing, we really appreciate all of the great reviews that we've been getting on iTunes. And that helps us get the word out about the podcast to more awesome people just like you. So, so if you have 90 seconds or so, head to electioncollege.com slash iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Last little commercial for you. We are going to be selling ugly Christmas sweaters and they'll have uh, the faces of historic figures, a couple presidents, maybe an Alexander Hamilton or so. And uh, we'll have those for you in the very near future. Check out our Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter pages to see more details about those. We think it'd be hilarious if you and Andy Jack on your ugly Christmas sweater walked into your next um, holiday party. So, like I said, keep an eye out for those. You'll be styling for the holidays. (laughs) We'll talk to you next time.